You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Is everyone too bearish? Hey, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We saw risk assets take a hit today as fears of higher interest rates started to creep back in. We also have a large options expiration today, which is added to the fun. Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirtnet newsletter, is here with us today. Hi, Jared. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Pretty good. Good. First, um, I, I haven't done a daily briefing in about a month. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, well, there's a lot to catch up on. So we, if that's the case, we we sort of saw this equity rally, right? And um, I, I, what are we uh, sort of up almost nineteen percent or twenty percent from the lows? Um, but then, but we've kind of look. People are trying to figure out what's happening this week because we have the Fed one member after another, governor after another, Fed president after another, kind of rolling out saying, no, 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 we're serious about hiking rates today. It was St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. So where are you in this whole Fed debate? Yeah, I think this was predictable. So, you know, if you look at the dots on the dot plot, you know, the median dots are around anywhere from three and a half to four percent. So that's consistently what the Fed said all along, that the highest they were going to go with rates is three and a half or four percent. But I think what they've been saying in the last couple of days sort of implies that rates could go higher. And the key thing to understand about the Fed is that whatever they're doing, they're going to overdo it. You know, if they're going to if they're going to have rates low, they're going to overdo it. If they're going to have rates high, they're going to overdo it. I mean, keep in mind, this is the same institution that kept rates at zero percent for nine years. You know what I mean? And like this is if, if you think of the Fed as an aircraft carrier, it's very it, they're not nimble. It's they're very difficult to turn around mm -hmm. and they're not going to stop hiking rates when everything's cool, they're, they're, they're not going to stop hiking rates until something breaks. I mean, it re it, that's really what it looks like. So, you know, we have Jackson Hole coming up. Uh, I actually think the market will rally off of that. Expectations are, you know, that he's going to be pretty hawkish. And I think there's going to be some dovish stuff in his speech to hang on to. But I, I think I think stocks will rally on that. But it is. I mean, it's it's absolutely possible we, we could be looking at Fed funds of four and a quarter, four and a half. It's it could happen. The market actually, under the circumstances, is taking it pretty well. Yeah, are they taking it well, or are they just are they just wrong? Are they just really not understanding what's happening? Um, I mean, look, like you know, my belief all along is that the bear market that we experienced was 
really just a garden variety rate hike cycle. You know, I mean, just like uh, 94 or, you know, any other rate hike cycle in history. So I didn't think it was one of these generational bear markets where stocks were going to be down 50%. So taking that into consideration, you know, we're, we're basically just dealing with a Fed that's tightening and they're, they're going to keep going until things get a little bit squirrely. But, you know, I think the lows are in for stocks. I, you know, I think 3666 in the S&P, I think that's absolutely the low. I don't think we, I don't even really think we come close to retesting the low. You know, from a technical standpoint, we're kind of consolidating around the 200-day moving average. Uh, I do think we could get a little bit of a sharper correction next week, but ultimately, I don't think it's that serious. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, so we, I feel like everybody, you know, when we've been having people on air, we've been, we, we like to have all sorts of different opinions and kind of test them against each other. Of course, right. We're not just going to have an echo chamber where everybody believes the same thing, but it seems like we, I want to put a tweet up that made us laugh today because this was someone describing fed policy. I don't know if we can run that. Yeah, that, that seems about right. But I feel like that's also investors and analysts too, because we'll hear, you know, oh, this is, you know, we're we're in we're in higher structural inflation. Somebody else will turn around and say it's disinflation. The economy's tanking, everything's rolling over, and then we have a huge jobs report. I mean, it just seems like it's all over the place. Why why you sound like so convinced that stocks have put a bottom in? What what are you looking at? I'm pretty convinced. You know, I mean, remember, I'm the sentiment guy. And yeah. you know, at, that's, at, why we, at, that's why we're happy to have you on today, because it feels like that's what's important right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when we were at the lows in stocks, sentiment was worse than it was in the financial crisis. I mean, if you look at from a bunch of different measures, particularly, you know, the AAII survey, like it's it, it, sentiment was absolutely worse. I mean, there was a day I don't remember the date, but we basically had panic selling in gold, panic selling in oil. The dollar was, I think it was the day that uh, the euro went through parity. And that was like, that was like max panic in the markets. And, you know, those bottoms are made on sentiment. So I'm pretty convinced that that, that was the low. So are, so are you actively buying stocks now or where are you, are you sort of particular about what low you think holds or what or what has more upside now if the bottom's in? Well, I'm actually, so personally, I'm not trading at the moment because I need cash to build my house. So uh, I'm actually- You're in real I, estate. I, I'm re Yeah, I'm in real estate. I'm kind of paper trading with a newsletter. So, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, like, you know, in the newsletter, in the paper trading, like I've, you know, we've been buying stocks. So um, I'm not going to say that I traded it perfectly, um, you know, I was forced to de-risk a lot of stuff during the bear market. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, that, that ultimately proved to be a smart decision, but I don't want to give people the impression that I traded perfectly. I absolutely didn't. Yeah. So, um, back to the question about what though, do you feel like, because people tend to make a distinction, okay, you know, I see value in stocks or I see opportunity in stocks, but I'm still nervous about long duration stocks. I'm nervous about tech in a higher interest rate environment. I'm nervous about certain things. Do you like it all? Or are there areas that you think are better positioned right now? No, I mean, you know, I do like value. You know, I've, I think we made the turn into value about a year ago. Um, you know, but ultimately I think we're going to get through this period of consolidation. We're going to get through this correction on higher rates. And we are going to get to a point where the Fed does stop. Like that's, 
like you can you can see that in the future like that is going to happen i don't know if it's three months six months but sometime in the near future the fed is going to stop and we're the stocks are going to be higher than where they are right now for sure so um i think we're going to be i think maybe not by the end of the year but maybe around like next spring we're going to be talking about the market retesting the highs that's i think so yeah so does that would that would the conditions necessary for that mean that we don't go into a deep recession? Does that, does the kind of correlating economy mean that it's a, a quick, shallow, maybe not recession at all? One of those sort of soft landings that seems so elusive. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the economy, you know, we're, we're in recession right now for sure, but all recessions are different. You know, a lot of people, when they think of a recession, you know, we have this recency bias and we think, okay, the last time we were in a recession was the great financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be just like that. Like people yeah. believe that. And all recessions are different. Like we can go through all of them like in my lifetime. So in 1990, 1991, it was mostly commercial real estate that, it that was in recession. There was a jobless recovery. 2000, 2001, GDP was down 0.1%. It was the shallowest recession in history but it felt so much more painful because we had this terrible bear market. Then we had the financial crisis. Then we had COVID, which was unlike any recession we had before. So what I'm saying is they're all different. This one's pretty painless. It's going to be pretty shallow. The way I look at it is we had this huge surge in economic activity because of all the stimulus. And now you're having a minor pullback. And that's really all it is. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. That is a great point because people do, I think not only people, but I'm, I'm thinking company executives too, because we've seen, I'm curious about what you think is going on in the labor market because we've seen, we saw jobless claims drop again. We, we had a reading out. They dropped again this week, which is part of what seems to be sort of, you know, that along with the Fed officials, um, giving people who wanted to lighten up a, a reason to do so. Um, and I think all of us go out in the universe and we see the shortages around. If anyone's traveled this summer, you know, you certainly know what's going on at airports. Um, and yet we, we're having all of these sort of headlines about layoffs. Um, yeah, maybe some of them are in tech, but um, PricewaterhouseCoopers did a survey last month, 700 executives across a lot of different in industries. It's on Bloomberg today, if you want to look at it. Um, and they said that over half of them said they're either laying off freezing hiring, rescinding offers, and they do seem to be nervous, maybe because they're sort of anticipating that same sort of experience, if that was their formative experience as an executive. So what is your sense about what's really going on? Well, with the labor market? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you have to look at the JOLTS data, you know, so we had 11 million job openings, and now we're down to 10 million job openings. You're not really going to see any significant slack in the labor market until that job openings number gets much lower, down to about three or four million. Like the, the jobs market is still really tight. And the reason it's tight is because of the lagged effects of all the stimulus that we did during the pandemic. 
I mean, if you remember back to summer of 2020, that's when it first started. You went to a restaurant and there were no servers. There was no kitchen staff. You, there was no people working at gas stations. And all, that's when all those distortions started. And they're still continuing to this day. And yeah. it's going to last for a couple of years. So I think when you're looking at the economy, I think the labor market is kind of the wrong place to look because there's so many distortions. The weakness in the economy is really around the manufacturing surveys, uh, Dallas Fed, Philly Fed, Richmond Fed, stuff like that, where you see manufacturing intentions are lower. So the interesting piece of data that we got this week was that Philly Fed actually flipped from negative to positive. So we actually might be on the tail end of this recession. Hmm. Yeah, which is wild to think about because some people are still arguing we're not in it. Hence our blindfold tweet, because I mean, it does feel a little bit like that. Um, let's go. Let, let's let's kind of go around the loop of, of the economy. And you mentioned housing um, that you're building a house. But this is another one of those areas that people say, oh, it's falling off a cliff. We've had all these really and they, and they have been some pretty, uh, you know, pretty weak looking numbers. Are we capturing the economy in the right way with the kind of statistics that we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the statistics. Statistics are working fine. You know, when I think about the housing market, I mean, just take just take a step back, step way back and look at this objectively. And we have 8% inflation. So what is like the one asset that you want to own during periods of inflation? It's real estate. Like you absolutely want to own real estate during periods of inflation. So we had like this blazing hot, hot uh, excuse me, housing market. Now we're taking a little bit of a pullback. You know, the housing starts were down, building permits were down, all that existing home sales were down. Uh, I am not worried about housing at all. There's a lot. There's some people on Twitter that are like, we're going to, it's going to be a financial crisis all over again. It's going to be 2008 all over again. That's nonsense. I mean, let me give you some statistics. 40% of all homes in the U.S. are owned free and clear, okay? No mortgage. Wow. In, fa in fact, the median LTV of a house in the U.S. is 33%, which means that the average house, people have 67% equity. There's no debt. People spent the last 12 years deleveraging. There's no leverage in the system, right? And underwriting standards are stronger than they've ever been. We're not going to get. We're, there's no way we're going to get a housing crisis. Forty percent are by the way, owned I'm, outright. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm going to tack on to that. I'm sorry, I'm boring people who've been listening to me talk about this, but I think it's really important. So, if you're not listening in the U.S., in the U.S., we have we tend to have fixed mortgage rates, or we have we have fixed and floating, um, but they're usually based on a what 30 year mortgage, right, Jared? Um, somebody was on, Jeff Schultz was on a couple of weeks ago and said that um, 50% of them were pretty much floating versus fixed during the financial crisis. And now 90% yep. are fixed. 90% yeah. of people who yeah. owe on their homes locked in at these historically low and rates. And by the way, 90% of those mortgages are less than 4%. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. But I did not know that 40% of their people own their house outright. That That's amazing. Um, which changes everything when you think about selling. So many people were stuck underwater. We had those mass foreclosures that really messed with the housing market and took a long time to get out from under that. So that's that's a fantastic stat. You mentioned inflation, and this is another another area that everyone's been going back and forth on. I mentioned at the top, we have a lot of really different opinions about this. Ash recently spoke with Rob Arnett 
um, who falls into the camp of thinking that investors are being way too complacent about inflation. Let's have a listen to what he said. So um, looking ahead, do we know what the inflation for August and September are going to be? Of course not. Do we know what they're replacing? Absolutely. You look back a year and you find that the non-seasonally adjusted monthly figures for August and September are 0.2% and 0.3%. What do you think is the likelihood that inflation will be 0.2 and 0.3 or less? If it's more than that, and that strikes me as hmm, 70, 30 odds that it'll be more than that, then inflation finishes the summer higher than today. If it's in line with the average of the last year, um, it'll be higher at the end of September than it was at the peak at the end of June. So uh, I, I have a, a very interesting graphic, which I believe you can post yeah. um, on the show. And if you look at this graphic, you see three dotted lines. The, this shows the actual inflation through Ju July, shows the current outlook for August, which is 0.2, nice and low, and then shows three scenarios for the remainder of the year. One scenario is that inflation dies cold, that it's over, that it's zero, month by month, zero, 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 all the way till the end of the year. That gets you back down to 6.3. Wall Street is still expecting 4 to 6% calendar year inflation. What are they smoking? You'd have to have deflation between now and the end of the year to get to 6, let alone anything lower than that. And that full interview is available on our platform. Um, so, Jared, are we, you know, we're, what are your thoughts? Are we, is the market being really complacent about inflation? And are, are we in a more kind of higher structural inflation period now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, look, I think inflation is going to come down for the rest of the year. Um, I think it could get down to six and a half percent, maybe, probably at the most, maybe seven. Um, and I think ultimately the floor for inflation is probably around four or five percent. I mean, we're in a we're 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 in a, in an environment where inflation is just structurally higher. A lot of that is because of psychology. Like the psychology around inflation is turned. People mm -hmm. are buying stuff in bulk. They're buying faster. They're buying more. People think that higher prices are coming. Therefore, they're actually making higher prices happen. And that is the, that's the tricky thing about inflation. And it's really it's really hard to know when that when that locks on, but when it does, and this is why central banks fight inflation and worry about it so much is it's really hard to break these cycles, both of inflation and deflation. So if we're in this higher inflation period, what does that mean for bonds? We have a question from Jim on the RV site. Jared, is it timely to buy the three-year comma T-note question mark? Uh, that's a really good question. I'm actually long two years at the moment and kind of hating myself. It's not working out. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think, look, the curve is is the most inverted as it's been in 21, 22 years. Uh, last time I checked, two's tens was like negative 44 basis points. So I think the curve is going to steepen once the Fed, I hate the word pivot. I like the word pause better. Mm. Once the Fed pauses, uh, I, I do think the curve is going to steepen again. I think the front end yields will come down. So I think buying threes, if you want to buy threes, I think that's actually a decent trade. Um, I think twos are even better. Uh, 
Lena Yang on Twitter is asking, is the White House able to manufacture a narrative inflation is zero if month to month inflation stays zero but before the midterm election? Well, I mean, Biden wasn't wrong. You know, inflation for July was zero. I think that's what she's talking about. Like, yeah, like, I think it's this mix the, between like, do we look at the month to month change or do we look at the, you know, either well, the overall rate or the year on year? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the problem is, is that most people aren't educated enough to know the difference. And based on what I've uh, on what I've been seeing on Twitter, a lot of people in finance aren't educated enough to know the difference. So well, I'm serious. <laughs> So it, it, we we had 0% inflation in the month of July. Prices were unchanged in the month of July. Year over year, we have 8.5% inflation. And then like I saw so many people get that mixed up. It, it was just unbelievable. I, and, 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 you know, and rage based on wherever their line of thought is, right? I mean, that was that was also what you saw people jumping on it and, you know. Um, really just based on their politics, not really based on yeah. economics. This is why we have the Academy people. You can find it on our platform. So we know the difference between these things. So you don't have to listen to boneheads who don't know what they're talking about. You yourself can understand what these things mean. Um, uh, Munashir from YouTube asking, um, Jared, what do you think about the Jackson Hole meeting next week. So for those of you who don't know, Jackson Hole is where the central bankers and a bunch of other people get together. And it's not a public event. It's not where he rolls up in front of, uh, you know, a podium and gives a press conference. It's this kind of weird event, but thinkers are there. And so people go hang out. And I guess you could say, Jared, it's a place where if the Fed wants to float trial balloons, they do. Is that fair? No, that's absolutely. And they go for hikes. They go for hikes. Greenspan, by the way, apparently was like a very avid hiker and he would take everybody on a hike up the mountain and he would just like bury people like people <laughs> were they were like gasping for air and they were just dying. And Greens Greenspan was really good at hiking. I don't know what Powell does. That's amazing, but, too, because you wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> I, I went to a lot of events where I had to, you know, run after him with a microphone. You would not have necessarily thought that if you saw him, that he was uh, an avid so, hiker. No, I, I mean, I think it's, I, you know, some of this has been leaked. I think it's going to be a hawkish speech. But, I mean, keep in mind that every time we have a Fed meeting, every time we have, have an FOMC meeting, there's like a 90% chance that the stock market goes up. Like, if you just got long the market the morning of Fed meetings or like overnight, like you'd be killing it. Like, they, it always goes up on Fed meetings with rare exceptions. Why is that? Because so, um, they get I, so nervous ahead of time that it's a kind of... Yeah, I mean, because I think I think generally the Fed is more hawkish going into the meeting and then there's a quiet period and people are freaking out about it and then it ends up not being so bad, which is kind of like a metaphor for life, right? Like that's that's what life is all about. Like we so just right. <laughs> you're so right. we worry about it and then you get there and, and afterwards you're like, what the hell is I worried about? It's good. <laughs> so right, Jared, as usual, dropping all the wisdom. Um it, it were the Fed's also in this in this predicament where they want they they try to speak to the markets and be very hawkish and then they try to speak to the public out of the other side of the mouth and say it's okay we're gonna have a soft landing it's not too bad we're not gonna kill you we're not gonna trash your job prospects or your you know your economy or your 401 like they're they're trying to talk to everybody aren't they and also the politicians who would love nothing more than to gang up on them so that they can you know have something well, to talk about on the election trail not to be too cynical, but, you know, I mean, look, we have we have Jackson Hole 
and then we have a meeting in September, and then we have a meeting November 2nd, which is right before the uh, midterm election. And historically, the Fed doesn't usually do anything near an election, but for sure, they're going to hike this time. They've already baked it in. So you're going to get two rate hikes. I maybe just Let's just say it's a 50 and a 50, and then you have another meeting in December. I think that's when the pause happens. I think the pause happens after the midterms because the Fed really needs to be seen doing something about inflation going into the midterms. Mm. You know, that's something that Biden can point to. So uh, I think the pause is in December. Um, Mitch is asking, how about Canadian housing market? I mean, I know you're you're focused on, on uh, the Myrtle Beach area where you live, but are you watching what's going on in Canada? I'm always watching what's going on. I, I, I had a feeling Mitch knew that, Jared. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of in free fall right now. Um, the, the only question is, is how bad it gets. Like, you know, this is if you, if you go back nine years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, uh, you had a lot of people, myself included, who were, you know, shorting the Canadian banks, CIBC in particular, because they had the most mortgage exposure. Uh, people were trying to short HCG, Home Capital Group, and then Buffett bought it, which, you know, squeezed out all the shorts. So people have been trying to short Canadian housing for a while. Now's the time. But like I said, the question is how bad it gets. And it does it get bad enough for, you know, there for there to be a real danger of institutions failing because of this? Mm. And we're not we're not close to that yet. Uh, I want to say Canadian housing is down about 10% from the highs at this point. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody in the Vancouver area yesterday, and he said, you know, there's, there's no bids, nobody, there's no bids in sight. It's bad. So it's bad. I think Canada, wasn't Canada, I don't, was it housing? One of your trades when we did my life in four trades? I'm remembering. I think so. I think yeah, so. I think yeah. Canada was, uh, of course yeah. you're always watching it. Um, where I just saw a great question. Oh, from Paul, he says, Maggie, what areas or sectors do you think are interesting now? I'm quite sure he means Jared, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll get that going because nobody cares what I think is interesting. But I saw something interesting. Maybe you can fill this in. Um, first of all, you can answer broadly if there's an area you really like. But I saw you talking about um, in one of your notes, cannabis, which was interesting. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so I, I missed it. I missed the first wave. And one of the reasons I missed the first wave is I, I had people tell, look, I had people telling me about cannabis in like 2016, 2017. And I looked at the stocks and I'm like, they're all OTC bulletin board penny stocks. Like, I don't, I don't want to buy this crap, you know? And then uh, you had a couple that were listed on the exchange and I actually bought one of the cannabis stocks. I want to say in like 18 or 19 or something like that. So I, I but I didn't really catch it. And then I was out of it for the whole bear market. Now it's starting to get interesting again. Like there's there, all these stocks are forming bases. And I think there's a pretty good chance. There's actually sort of a growing number of Republicans that are interested in legalizing cannabis. Uh, one of them is in my area, Nancy Mace, who's the uh, congresswoman from Mount Pleasant. Um, she was also the first female graduate of the Citadel. She's just a remarkable person. Um, but she's, she's talking, she's very big on legalizing cannabis. And it's one of these things like, you know, only Nixon could go to China, you know, yeah. only, only, only the Republicans could do this. So I think the chances that this, that this could happen goes up in the next couple of years. Uh, and if, if it does, you definitely want to be long. And 
I'm, I'm just going to tack on. I, I think it's, it gets legalized federally because then that changes the banking rules. Because if some people may be sitting in a state where it's legal and thinking, well, it's already legal here. It's the banking rules that are a real sticking yeah. point for this sector taking off. So they can't hold a bank account. They can't finance through banks right now because it's federally um, it's not federally legal. So that's that's the big thing, the holy grail everyone's been waiting for. Right. Actually, I heard a remarkable story. This was a couple of years ago, but one of these, uh, when it was first legalized in Colorado, one of the marijuana companies in, in Denver, uh, they had to pay their taxes with the IRS, and the IRS has a service center in Salt Lake City. And since they didn't, they didn't have a bank account. All they had was cash. They actually got, they rented an armored truck and drove seven hundred thousand dollars worth of cash to the IRS in Salt it's crazy. Lake City. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, but that's how they're having to operate. It's completely, yeah. you know, this is what's what's holding them back from sort of mass. So, but but I sort of threw cannabis in there. But to Paul's question, is there any other sector that you think is interesting or area um, or asset class that you think is interesting right now? Well, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, if you think if you want to buy two year notes or three year notes and you think the yield curve is going to steepen and the front end is going to come down, then you definitely want to buy banks. You know, the 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 bank the, the the bank charts are also basing, I think, here. Um, they look they look I, I don't have any exposure at the moment, but those charts are looking pretty interesting. So three months from now, six months from now, the Fed pauses, front end yields come down. I think those I, I think the big banks are going to be up 10 to 20 percent. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Wow. That's, that's, that's interesting because banks were really popular and then they kind of got, you know, that was another trade that didn't work out for people for short-term traders. And I really appreciate Jared and I hope you're all paying attention. Jared's giving some sort of time frames on some of these recommendations because if we get together in a month again and the environment's changed, so is Jared's point of view. So you have to be, you know, this is broad, but, but it's specific to where we're sitting right now. So this isn't like forever stuff. Um, I, I forgot to mention at the top, and this is a really important development that we saw Nord Stream uh, halted. The Russians are going to halt it again, um, you know, and for everyone bracing for what's going to be, we know, really tough times in Europe. It, it, you know, I think Andreas, uh, my colleague, tweeted out, uh, this is getting serious again. Are you playing Europe at all, Jared, um, from any kind of perspective, even a, even a currency perspective? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I but. I, let me put it this way. Um, getting back to what we said earlier about Jackson Hole, like uh, however bad we think it's going to be in Europe, I don't think it's going to be that bad just because it never it never ends up being mm -hmm. that bad. And I don't I don't know if that's because the Ukraine war ends. Actually, I don't believe it will. I think Ukraine and Russia have no incentive to stop. Yeah, but that's just, scary. Yeah. But just just throwing that out there. Maybe it does. Maybe something happens. I don't know. I was having dinner when I was in New York. I was having dinner with a high school friend of mine who was a German exchange student. He lives in he lives in Germany. He's, he's German, and uh, we we talked about the um, uh, the fuel situation, and he said he said Germany is pretty much resigned to the fact yep. that they're they're going to have to pay an extra two thousand dollars to heat their homes during the winter. 
And uh, he, he made an interesting comment. He says, you know, in Europe, people are used to suffering, you yeah. know, and he says in America, people have no concept of what it is to suffer. And when times get tough, people like freak out. Mm-hmm. So he, he says, he says people are ready for it in Europe. They know it's going to happen. Yeah, this is a this is goes back to why sentiment's really important. I mean, there may be some that argue that they could be, pre- be preparing people more for what's going on. Um, but but this is this is clear. Uh, you know, people have been telegraphing it very clearly, and um, you know, there is a huge push there to um, to make make it happen now, reduce their dependence. Um, okay, so. One more question. I'm going to squeeze in here. What time is it? Uh, all right, let's do this one really quickly because we have something. One more thing we want to talk about: uh, recovery for the next couple years. This is William V U L K square root. I think he's being humorous at the end. But what kind of you know? I think what kind of economy are we looking at here? If we're in recession now, do you see us coming out pretty quickly, or could this kind of be a prolonged mess sideways? Uh I think it's, I think it's, if, if it resembles any letter of the alphabet, I think it does resemble a V. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, while the Fed is making noise about tightening, it's, it's going to be difficult to break out significantly. But I think, I think three months from now, six months from now, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a completely different environment. So not too worried about it. Awesome. Um, I did not get a chance to get Ralph, get your question in about huge pay divisions uh, within banks as an underappreciated risk. Is that on your radar, Jared? Have you been talking about that? Is that why Ralph's asking about it? I wrote a, I wrote a Bloomberg piece on that. Oh, okay. Is it a risk? Uh, yes, but let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah, in a word, yes. Don't you love how I say we have no more questions? Throw one in there, but... Ralph, to be continued on that. Before we go, though, there is one more really pressing matter that we have to talk about, and that is your upcoming show in New York City. Tell us about it. You're coming to the Big Apple? Yeah, yeah. So September 16th, which is a Friday, it'll be at Dew Supper Club, which is on 21st Street. The address is 59 West 21st Street. And uh, it's from it's it's an early show for all the old people. It's 7 p.m. to 12 a.m. I I play from 10 to 12. Uh, one of the DJs is actually flying in from Dallas. It's a, uh, it's a guy I know from Dallas. He calls himself Shamani. He plays like more organic stuff. It's going to, it's going to be, all these parties are amazing. Like it's going to be, it's going to be great. And the thing, the thing I tell people is, look, you have a choice. You can stay in your apartment and watch a baseball game. And then 20 years from now, you will never remember what happened on Friday, September 16th. But if you go to the party, you will be making memories. You will be you'll you'll be stepping outside your comfort zone. You'll be meeting new people. It'll be lots of fun, and you should come out. So totally. Listen, after everything we've been through and all the stress in trying to navigate these markets, Lord knows we all need a good Friday night out. This is yep. amazing news. Yep. All right, great. So I think we're going to try to drop something um, in the in the comments or in the chat. Everyone, if you're in the NYC area, if you feel like coming to the NYC area, check it out. I know Real Vision is going to have a contingent there rocking out, and we look forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait, Jared. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Mark your calendars, everybody. In the meantime, we are totally out of time, but thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Thank you, Jared, as always, for the great wisdom. And we will be back same time Monday. In the meantime, have a fantastic weekend, everyone. When you think about the American system, Okay. There is 
very similar. You take all 300 million Americans and you kind of graph and it's like, then there's like folks who are government employees, like 6 million government employees. And then you go and read and there's like the, the most prominent journalists and academics and professors and bureaucrats and of course elected officials or whatever. But those are in fact, in some ways less powerful than the unelected officials, um, which is a good term by the way, the unelected officials are the control circuitry outside the U.S. government that controls the U.S. government, you know, in the sense of, you know, the press holds them accountable. And if it holds them accountable, it's upstream of them because it can get them fired, but not vice versa, right? Okay. So you have the control circuitry and you have the government itself. And basically, I, I argue that anything this group does is by definition democracy. That's how it's operationally used. For example, you can invade Iraq. Well, it's still a democracy. You can blow up Syria. Still a democracy. You can surveil the entire world against their will with the NSA, basically repealing search and you know seizure, the fourth one, still a democracy, right? You can um, bail out the banks. You can have the, the Fed chair. It's not elected. You can have unelected bureaucrats, still a democracy. You can have 700 military bases throughout the world. You can have John Bolton admitting that they launched coup after coup in different countries, right? You can have all of these declassified documents saying this stuff. And you, know, you can even argue, by the way, that some of this, and I would actually agree with this, some of this was necessary to fight off the Soviets during 1945 to 91. I would agree with some of that stuff, at least during the Cold War. I would use two terms. One is democracy. The other is, which is a very American term, only ever used in America is freedom. Well, I'll come back to the freedom. Everything so that's going to be another network. Under freedom, that's, right? that's, all right, so that's going to be another network in a second. Point is, when you, when you get somebody on the spot, you name all of these things, right? Nothing that this network does, it, it, it defines whatever it does as democracy and whatever is not it as threat to democracy. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.